Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast all about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. This is our Wednesday show where we niche down to a single topic, ask a question, and then unpack the rest. Well, as you can already tell, I am not Natasha. She had a family emergency and therefore will not be joining us. She will be back. Do not worry. And we're sending her all of our love and kindness. I hope she's doing well. Now, this is me doing this show, so it's going to be a little bit different. And I'm not going to be doing a 20-minute speech, so I brought along a friend. I have Amanda Silberling with us. She's one of TechCrunch's newest and greatest and most interesting and most fun writers to read. Amanda, welcome back. Hello, that was so nice. You know, Natasha once called me the most online writer at TechCrunch on Equity, and I feel like whenever I go on, it's like a free compliment. Yeah, the the issue with that is that used to be me, and now I'm no longer the most online person at TC, and I don't really know how I feel about that, you know? It's a badge of honor, but also not at the same time. Does that make sense? I think that you're very online in the literal sense, but in the sense of knowing Uh, weird memes from like 10 years ago that were on Tumblr, like My Immortal, which we found out you do not know what it is. True. Yeah. I did do a Twitter poll and my followers were more likely to know what my immortal is than not to know what it is. In my defense, when we discuss the whole concept of being online, there's various online buckets. Yeah. And I think that the phrase that you're using is to a very specific demographic and at a point in time, important cultural time on the internet, <laughs> that's now kind of gone. And now I'm not just rambling, by the way, we're getting to a point here, which is that being online is not a good or bad thing, but some people could use less time on the internet, perhaps. One of those people, just throwing a name out there, Amanda, just having a look, kind of a brain sesh here, maybe Elon Musk, you know, could be online a little bit less than he currently is. Maybe he missed the Tumblr era, but he certainly made a lot of news this week and kind of upended our plans as a news team. We're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about the Twitter and Elon Musk deal. And we're going to do this in the form of questions. So we're going to ask a couple questions as a pair and talk through what's going on. But Amanda, for those people who are on Twitter too much, they may have seen us yesterday talking about something similar. So why are we here today doing this again? I think there's just so much to unpack with what it means for one of the richest men in the world, if not the richest man in the world, to buy a platform that is... I mean, I do think he's right when he calls it the de facto town square, so to speak. But I think there's also a lot at stake with that public town square changing hands into the hands of somebody who historically, just as CEO of Tesla, not to mention all his other companies, has been busting unions. He's been sued for racial discrimination in his workplace. Yep. It's like the list goes on. Controversial, I think, is what we might call Mr. Musk, but we're all familiar with him. We all know what's going on. And the reason why we're not just playing for you our Twitter space that we recorded yesterday with really the kind of the TechCrunch family, if you will, that was a good time. It's too long. It's a little bit meandering and the audio quality is a little bit mismatched. So what we've done is we've gone back through it, pulled out the highlights, the key questions, the key things to dive into, and we're going to do that for you today, but with less audio crackling and children screaming in the background. Sorry, that so, the children were my fault. Not I don't have children, but I was just sitting outside on a street and some children walked by. But now here we are, not outside. <laughs> I spent a chunk of the Twitter space in my backyard playing with my dogs and just muting and unmuting myself, and I think it went okay. Yeah, you know? I had no Twitter idea. Twitter spaces are casual. Wow. Yeah, see, exactly. Ninja. <laughs> All right, so the first question that we're going to dive into today, Amanda, is just how much of an active participant Elon Musk is going to be in the management of Twitter. I'm going to let you have first bite of this apple. I hope he's not very active, but that's extremely optimistic thinking. 
Why do you think a less engaged Elon is a better situation for Twitter? I think that some of his plans just don't really seem fully formed. He seems like someone who will kind of go on a power trip and make things happen without fully thinking about the implications. I said this on the Twitter space yesterday, but a constant recurring theme in tech is that when you have people who are in positions of extreme power building and controlling services that people of all walks of life use and that have the capacity for harassment, they're not thinking about how things can be used in the worst possible way. So things like open sourcing the algorithm, verifying all human beings, making Twitter more of a free speech first platform, whatever that means to Elon Musk. These are things that to somebody in a position of power, they may seem good in theory. But then when you think about how this affects people that are most vulnerable, there's a lot of room for this to enable even more harassment. And we know Twitter is a place where harassment already happens because it's the internet. Yeah. If you don't know about the harassment problem on Twitter, be a woman (laughs) and be a reporter for a couple of months. I literally check in with my friends who are women and are reporters because I get so little harassment. I get pot shots occasionally, but like not much. You know, I don't even get that much hate mail. Don't start everybody, but like, I don't, I don't get that much of it. So I'm always looking at the internet through a much more rosy lens, which is why I mean, I wanted you to take a punch at that. Daryl called him the eye of Sauron yesterday <laughs> on our chat. And I think that the analogy is pretty good because if you recall in the Lord of the Rings realm and kind of lore, the eye of Sauron can fix itself to one point of Middle-earth at any given time. And Elon, Amanda, as you pointed out, has a couple jobs. He uh, has the boring company. He's got SpaceX going on. Tesla is, of course, very busy. And now he's throwing Twitter onto the mix. I don't think it's actually physically humanly possible to run all the companies at once. So when it comes to his activity, I wonder if we're asking the wrong question. I wonder if the question is, how much will he give whatever person becomes the de facto COO at Twitter? How much room do they get to pursue their own perspectives? And how much are they just taking marching orders from Elon's Twitter feed? You know? Yeah. And I think it's so interesting too, because Twitter's already had a huge executive shakeup in the last couple of months with Jack Dorsey suddenly yeah. stepping down and Para Gagrawal, who was the CTO before taking the CEO role. Poor guy. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Like, you're there at Twitter, Jack's leaving, you're the CTO. You probably don't really want to be CEO because the CTOs tend to like being CTOs in my experience at least. And then suddenly the entire world stares at you at once. Yeah. And then the company gets sold out from underneath you effectively. It's just what a mess. I feel sorry for the guy. But Twitter employees are an enormous part of this picture because of course they are the people that make Twitter run. And in the last 18 months, as we've all said, Twitter's had a pretty solid product run or at least product cadence. Not everything's been a hit. Fleets, no one is really (laughs) saying RIP. But Twitter's been on a roll to some degree. And so the question is what portion of Twitter's staff won want to stay and work to generate more wealth for Elon Musk. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think it's 100%. It's not zero. Amanda, what are you thinking? People going to get poached pretty often here or is Twitter going to stick around? Yeah, I think for Twitter employees, it's a big time of uncertainty. I wrote about how Bloomberg had a scoop that Twitter is locking down its code so that only VPs can make changes to the product because they were worried about what if somebody who is angry about the situation goes rogue and just messes around with a platform that millions of people are using. I think that kind of speaks to the sentiment of they don't think everything is hunky-dory on the staff. 
And people have tweeted being like, what happens to our stock options? Because suddenly you're not working for a publicly traded company. RSUs or brands. But yeah, there's nuance to it. It's a good point. But I think it just goes to show like how this came together so quickly. This wasn't a deal that was fully hammered out ahead of time behind closed doors and then presented to the world. It's a deal that got dragged to the front door screaming, you know? And so, no, not everything is sorted out. Yes, there is a lot of uncertainty at Twitter. And it's critically uncertainty that the current CEO can't actually resolve because there's uncertainty based on what happens once it's sold and it's not yet sold. The shareholders haven't voted yet. It's not done. It's pretty much done, but there's still official things to happen. On the security front there, on the whole idea of working on the Twitter product, Elon has mentioned things like verifying or not ver- uh, registering yeah. individual humans. What, what um, was the language there, Amanda? the language? Essentially, the idea is that you confirm that a person is a real person and not a bot, but Carly Page for TechCrunch wrote about what's at stake with open sourcing the algorithm and the cybersecurity ideas that Elon Musk has. He's really excited about potentially figuring out a way to solve the bot issue on Twitter, where there's a lot of crypto scam bots and whatnot. And in Carly's article, she quoted the EFF saying that, at least in regard to the issue of verifying humans are humans, that anonymity is essential to protecting users who may have opinions, identities, or interests that do not align with those in power. And I think that is really important. Like, I cover labor movements in tech quite often, and a lot of the time there are Twitter accounts like Apple too, where it's Apple employees speaking out about mistreatment, but it's not tied to a specific person because then they wouldn't have the power to speak out because their job would be at stake. So I thought that was an interesting point about that. I mean, that's a much better angle than I was going to take. You're out here protecting people that are often discriminated against. I was going (laughs) to rise up and speak in favor of the crypto community who really hold on to anonymity and pseudo-anonymity as kind of a, a cultural construct of their world. And we've seen some reporting on individuals in the crypto space to very negative reaction from the community. And then Elon said that they're all going to have to register under their real name. And so to me, there's some dissonance here between the woo Elon crowd and people who now may have to register under their real name. I personally don't mind because I've done it by real name anyways, but I'm also the most generic white dude in America. So I'm not exactly a target. So I'm worried about that. I'm also worried about the open sourcing of the algorithm though, because if you make the code available, everyone can kind of figure out how to hack around it. And so I understand the impetus there, but I'm curious about the implementation. Yeah. It's one of those things where it feels like it seems good in theory, where it could be really cool if there's a greater understanding of how algorithms work. So often on social media, it's very mysterious what the algorithm is actually seeking to do and surface. And that has been brought up pretty frequently as an issue that leads to misinformation and that leads to inflammatory content on social media, etc. But if you make the code open source, then that also aids bad actors because they know exactly how to dupe the code and trick the code and whatnot. And also in Carly's article, the senior technical manager at the security firm ExtraHop, Jamie Moles, said that this could make Twitter a much bigger target for attackers. And then when you think about how many U.S. politicians at least use Twitter as a way to communicate with constituents, 
That's really scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Twitter is a company. It is a private company that it's owned by individuals. It is a public company in that it's on the stock market, but it is in no way part of the government. And so it doesn't have the same First Amendment questions regarding its users as people want it to. And I think the general vibe of having space for people to talk is good. But really, there's been a lot of talk about the kind of broader free speech question. And the thing that I'm struggling with overall, Amanda, is... The idea that Twitter has somehow been stifling speech, like they let Trump be on after he broke the rules a while before they booted him. And it seems to be that the company has made lots of room for people to talk, at least according to my Twitter feed, people are nice and busy. So what is this free speech argument that people keep bringing up? What's going to now be allowed on Twitter that was previously banned? (sighs) That's my reaction. But so often there is a confusion about what the First Amendment and free speech actually means. The First Amendment protects people in the U.S. Like, you can say anything you want about Joe Biden and nothing will happen to you, which that's a good thing. There are many countries where you cannot say whatever you want about government officials, and that stifles public debate, obviously. But on Twitter, the difference is that there are rules around, like, don't harass people, don't make targeted attacks, don't release people's personal information, don't spread misinformation about COVID. There's things like that that just sort of make Twitter, in my opinion, a more healthy place to spend time than, let's say, Parler, for instance, which takes a very similar approach where they're basically like, anything goes as long as you don't get us kicked off the app store, (sighs) which, I mean, that's a whole other layer of like- Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, I've been perplexed by this idea that Twitter's still going to have a different free speech setup when all the other Twitter-like applications that have been set up to have a, by their own advertising, more free speech focus, have terms of service that seem very much like Twitter. They don't seem to be super different. You know, you can't break the law. You can't- You know, tell people you're going to murder them. So like... Yeah, I don't think that Twitter's terms of service currently is super stringent, but it brings up the question of what do people like Elon Musk, who again are often people that are white men with a lot of money that have a lot of institutional power, what do they think is at stake? Uh, uh, that's, yeah. that's the thing. I, I, I can't figure it out. But even like, for example, a policy that Twitter has is that you aren't allowed to dead name a trans person. Like if you're repeatedly using the name that they do not go by, that is not their name, then you can be yeah. suspended from Twitter. And seems like a basic level of human respect that you want to call people by the name they want to be called by. But I guess some people would argue that like, now we can't debate whether trans people are humans, but like they're- Well, you can, you just- This, just, this is no, maybe no, not phrased in the best way, here. but yeah. I don't see a lot of restrictions in Twitter's TOS and setup that are highly restrictive for free speech in any way that conservative-run Twitter clones don't also have. The only thing that I can think of is the purported, and as far as I can tell, entirely artificial belief that social media is somehow trying to infringe upon, quote, conservative views, which in America really means far-right reactionary. If you're not in the States, you need to have a translation there. Which is not true, but there has been as a work to cut down on disinformation. And I think that does impact certain parts of the political spectrum a little bit more than others, depending on which country you're in and so forth. But I think people are going to be disappointed when Elon does eventually buy Twitter that suddenly it doesn't change much. That's my take. I think for a while it's going to be pretty yeah. much the same. And it's going to be kind of embarrassing to people who are like, oh, thank God, Elon's going to save it. And it's going to be a tweets, you know, in a row, as it has been for all of my life, you know? Yeah. 
also, I'm just going to make a note, maybe the trans policy thing is not the best route to go because then people get very angry, but whatever. No, I no, I mean, that, like, I, but, look, or, I just, I'm an absolutist about this. No being dicks to trans people. It's not necessary. It's non-productive. Mm-hmm. It's not intellectual. And it's just mean. And so to me, like, in the way that, like, casual homophobia back in the day when it was more common was a great indicator that someone that you're talking to is kind of a jerk, you know? Mm-hmm. For me, anyone who complains that I have pronouns in my bio, I can just kind of write them off because all they want to do is find some sort of nitpicky issue with something and just quibble about it. And I would rather stick my head in a barrel full of lava than entertain uh, <laughs> morons. Yeah, just no yeah. patience for it. Yeah, okay. So the end of the, the bracket. But yeah, even at Elon Musk's TED conversation that happened last week, he said that one of his goals for Twitter is for it to be a place where people can disagree with each other and have open civil discourse. But I don't think Twitter isn't currently that place. And I don't think that any lessening of the strictness of the terms of service, which aren't very strict, I don't think that would make it more of a place where people can have civil discourse because then you're just kind of making it easier for people to harass each other. But I think he has this idea that because people disagree with him, that means that they're not being civil and in good faith in their discourse or whatever. But one example is recently he made a meme comparing Justin Trudeau to Hitler and people got mad about it because Hitler jokes are not funny. And then he ended up deleting the tweet himself. But that was a decision that he made because people voiced their dissent with his view on what is comedic or not. And isn't that what he wants? Doesn't he want people to disagree with him? And then he made the decision himself that, yeah, maybe that joke wasn't in good taste. I'm going to take it down. It's the market in action, which is why Twitter seems to work today. (laughs) We were all on Twitter last week before Elon bought it or announced that he was going to successfully get a shot at buying it. I'm going to be on it the week afterwards. The thing that I have to say, man, is that I'm just, I'm too far gone to start anywhere else. Like I'm, I'm not, if I'm the last person on Twitter, it's going to be me age 94 in the nursing home with one of those (laughs) big ass iPads, you know, typing up my tweet one at a time, like not feeling and then I'll die doing my last tweet. (laughs) But that's me. You know, I respect that some people are going to leave. And as a final question for us today, let's do something dangerous. Let's do some predictions and do some prognostication and shoot for the future here. Twitter user growth faster or slower after Elon completes the transaction. Honestly, I would say maybe about the same because I think some people might be like, oh, cool, Tucker Carlson's back. That's my guy. And then maybe the same amount of people will be like, I hate billionaires. I'm going to go on Tumblr, even though I've never seen the TV show Supernatural. And nobody who hasn't seen Supernatural should be on Tumblr. What is Supernatural? I haven't even seen it, but it's just this show that like, it's been on for like 15 years and people are still actively obsessed with it on Tumblr. And that is my impression of Tumblr culture. And people don't realize that it is still a hell site as much as it was in 2012. Oh no, no, nothing ever gets better on the internet. I mean, think about the content moderation issues that Tumblr has had over the year. Remember when Yahoo deleted all the porn? Yeah. Remember when Yahoo like deleted all the porn on Tumblr and then also ran Flickr into the ground and now we work for Yahoo? Um, I can either confirm or deny what happened to Flickr, but uh, that has been our discussion. <laughs> cut no, you're just, you're welcome to the show. You can say whatever you want. It's a free speech show, Amanda. You're always welcome to speak your mind.
Yeah. But Amanda, we should come to a conclusion here, but I want to remind everybody that this Thursday, we are recording the Friday episode of Equity Live. We do this every two weeks. You can come hang out on Hoppin. You can come hang out on Twitter Spaces. We chit-chat our way through the show, and then we hang out for a bit, ask a couple of questions, answer a couple of questions, have a good time. We would love to see you in the show post on TC. There is a link to sign up. It's always free to come hang out with us. We use Hoppin so people can ask questions, but you can just be on Twitter Spaces if you'd like, and we'll see you then. Our heart goes out to Natasha and her family. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.